Samson Latchison is a local black man who recently weighed in on the current issues going on in America, and he gave me permission to share this post with you today. I quote, Trump stated, by the removal of Confederate statues, we change history, we change culture. Not possible, Mr. Trump. Can we change the fact that those who wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, own slaves, and use the slave women as bed warmers? Can we change the fact that in God's country, the president who signed the Emancipation Proclamation was shot in the head close range while his bodyguard was getting drunk in a bar nearby? Can we change the fact that slaves who fought in the Civil War for the North were promised freedom, but at its end, many were shot for murdering white men? Can we change the fact that my grandmother never learned to read or write? Can we change the fact that my grandfather and subsequently my mother and her siblings were slaves to the land they worked and were threatened by the KKK when they attempted to leave? Can we change the fact that in the land of the free, the home of the brave, the president who drafted the Civil Rights Act was shot so many times in the head, the back seat of the limousine he was riding was filled with brain matter? Can we change the fact that when my father became ill, my mother, with only a fourth grade education, was never hired to work in the 60s, and for more than a year we ate rice and beans with pig skins as meat? During the winter, all nine of us slept on the floor together for body heat in the land of opportunity. Can we change the fact that in Bolivar, Missouri, where I attended college during the 80s, cars would often drive by shouting, nigger, go back to Africa. Can we change the fact that in Arkansas in 1983, a church voted our revival team would not return because two of us were black? Can we change the fact that in 1986, I began applying five times during five years to be uh, hired at a job my white friends I attended college with were hired on the spot. While waiting for that job, I worked for minimum wage, and during several months, I survived on old chocolate that could no longer be sold by the department store where I worked. Can we change the fact that while patting my leg to the music at a church just two months ago, a friendly older gentleman said where I could hear him, all the coloreds do that. When I was serving in Africa as a missionary, they did the same thing. He continued smiling and walked away. Just two generations ago, Allied forces discovered camps where people were dressed in what appeared to be blue and white pajamas wearing wooden shoes. They were emaciated, and their eyes looked as if they were hollow. The smell was putrid, and they would later discover it was broiled human flesh and hundreds killed in crematoriums. They would discover gas chambers where hundreds were killed with Zyklon B, a chemical pesticide. They would find large rooms of human hair used for making rope. They would discover dentures with gold fillings taken by the Nazis as if they were treasures. General Eisenhower would even find a painting in the home of a commandant where the canvas was flesh-colored. On closer inspection, he saw what appeared to be a nipple. It was human flesh. The crime of these camp inmates, they were simply Jewish. Over last weekend, the white nationalists and the neo-Nazis chanted, Jews will not replace us. One of the white nationalists stated, until we eliminate the Jewish problem in this country, we can never have progress. Can we change history? Can we change culture? Even if every monument were toppled from sea to shining sea, 
Apparently not, Mr. Trump. End quote. Aditi Junjay, who's a lawyer with social services in New York State, said this. If you've ever wondered what your response would have been to slavery, the Holocaust, or the civil rights movement, you're doing it now. Afterwards, given the recent events in our country, this is not the first sermon I've done on racism. I only wish it were the last. I suspect it's not going to be. And my goal today is for us as a church body to open up our minds and our hearts to allow the Spirit of God to show us anything He might want to show us about ourselves, about our society. I don't claim to have perfect knowledge. I don't claim to have perfect understanding and have this all figured out. My intent is not to make us feel guilty for being white. Uh, We can't control the pigment of our skin, but we can control our attitudes, our thinking. Being white doesn't make one a racist, but it does give us some advantages that people of color don't necessarily have. The issues I'm addressing are not unique to any political party, left or right. I speak to you today understanding that I believe the answer lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the word of God gives us light for these things and I plan on staying close to that script. I hope to persuade you that we are to be consistent with a biblical worldview. In doing so, we realize that our own fleshly patterns, our way of thinking can sometimes be in conflict with a biblical worldview. I mean, every culture has its own patterns and ways of thinking, does it not? It does. We can't help but be influenced by our family system, by society, by our culture. We all are. It's kind of why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're not to be conformed by the world, its way of thinking, or we could even say by the culture. Don't let that set the pattern. Allow your thinking to be guided by truth, by the Word of God. That's where we're to take our cues. So we're to position ourselves to fall under the microscope of Scripture and to align our hearts, to align with the the Word of God. That's what I'd like for us to do. We all have an obligation to form our thoughts, and by the way, I think we're all responsible for our own thoughts, to align with truth. In John 17, 17, it tells us that God's Word is truth. And Jesus even proclaimed that he is the truth in John 14, 6. I'd like for us to look look at a passage, John 18, where we see Pilate, who was a man who was in a position to free Jesus. And he had a political and social pressure that was coming down upon him. 
And we read this as he was confronted with Jesus, eyeball to eyeball. This is what he says. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own intention and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Jesus said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? I find it interesting that Pilate is asking questions about truth. And Jesus is pointing him that, well, in the natural, in the political realm, that's really not what I'm talking about. It's, it's about a, another kingdom. It's not where you reside, Pilate. And even though Pilate could find no guilt in Jesus, he gave way to the political pressure. And he delivered Jesus up to be crucified. The political world, the the natural world, that, that was far more important for Pilate than the truth. He came right to the edge. He was eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. And yet he opted for self-protection, for political expedience. Face-to-face with Jesus. He had a choice, and he chose wrongly. I believe that there is a political thought, a cultural way of thinking, a social thought that, that runs through our society. And our churches can't help but be influenced. And it runs counter to the truth. It's, again, I'm not talking right or left. Not about politics. Here's the thing. Do we have the resolve, the fortitude, to choose truth, or are we going to be like Pilate? Just fall back to what's comfortable. Make sure that we are accepted in our own social group and our friends. Slavery has been inserted into this national discussion because of monuments that point to an ugly past in our nation's history. I think that if you're going to eliminate the thinking that led to slavery, you look back on what changed the thinking when slavery was instituted and how it ended in our society. And I believe it was because of a change from the inside out that a biblical worldview brought light to, a situa- to that situation and infiltrated the hearts of our society. And I think it's a Judeo-Christian teaching that human beings have intrinsic value 
and they are made in God's image. You look at all the worldviews, you look at naturalism, nihilism, existentialism, they don't offer you this component of the value of human beings made in the image of God. And many in the abolitionist movement of England and America in the 19th century were motivated by this biblical concept. And they viewed slavery as being fundamentally inconsistent with the historic Christian view of man's creation and redemption. I think it's clear from the Bible, but apparently it's not so clear in the American church if you look at it historically, because the American church has got a checkered past when it comes to race. You know, the Southern Baptist denomination originally started as being sympathizers with the slave South, thus the Southern moniker. They later apologized. It only took them about 100 years to do so. 1995, publicly came out, repented of the denomination's racism that had birthed its group. About 100 years later, Martin Luther King said, after, after slavery, said this, it's appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But he, like many others, believed that the Christian church is to lead the charge when it comes to racial reconciliation. Now, we've got a ways to go. Progress has been made. But a survey that was done with a cross-section of America by the Barna Group uh, shed some interesting light on this. I'm not going to read you the statistics because I know you're not going to remember them. But I will quote from Brooke Hempel, who was a, a, a vice president of research for the Barna Group. This is a compilation of the results. These are the conclusions. I quote, if you're a white evangelical Republican, you are less likely to think race is a problem, but more likely to think you are a victim of reverse racism. Now, hold on to your horses, all right? Okay. I'm not saying everybody is a racist but you're more prone to not admit that it's an issue. You are less convinced that people of color are socially disadvantaged, yet these same groups believe the church plays an important role in reconciliation. Hold on to that statement there. This dilemma demonstrates that those supposedly most equipped for reconciliation do not see the need for it. More than any other segment of the population, white evangelical Christians demonstrate a blindness to the struggle of their African-American brothers and sisters. Hempel continues, there is a dangerous reality for the modern church. Jesus and his disciples actively sought to affirm and restore the marginalized and obliterate divisions between groups of people. Yet our churches and ministries are still some of the most ethnically segregated institutions in the country. And I continue by failing to recognize the disadvantages that people of color face and the inherent privileges that come from growing up in a majority culture, we perpetuate the racial divisions, inequalities, and injustices that prevent African-American communities from thriving. Hempel says, research has shown that being cognizant of our biases leads to change in biased 
behavior. It goes on. If white evangelical Christians generally care for the well-being of their African-American brothers and sisters, the first step they must take is being honest about their own biases. History and Jesus' example has shown that reconciliation comes from stepping out of our place of comfort and actively pursuing healing for those in need. Those are hard words to hear. But if there's a silver lining in this ominous cloud, it's that three-quarters who were surveyed believe that the church plays an important role in racial reconciliation. And I would affirm that. How can the church make a difference? If Hemphill is right, the first step is by recognizing any problems that are in our own hearts and just saying, Lord, search my soul and any problems we have in the church. Let's just start here. Can we not all agree that white nationalism, Nazism, and any kind of racially superior thinking is demonic? Can we agree with that? Can we not also agree that any thinking or attitude that consciously or unconsciously causes us to think we are superior to others because of race is arrogance and sin? Yes. Maybe you think I'm using hyperbole or exaggerating when I call it demonic. Here's what James 3 says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. They'll have a conversation. Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I got a feeling all of us, most of us, I would say, are willing to stand up for what's right. I believe that about us. And we have to stand against the injustice that such racially superior thinking causes. And we as a church need to stand with our brothers and sisters of color in this community and demonstrate the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. However, I would give us this caution as we do so. Let us not use that in a spotty way and allow darker attitudes to continue. Paul Usherwood wrote an article in the Woman's Art Journal called Elizabeth Thompson Butler, A Case for Tokenism. It's an interesting story about a 19th century painter by the name of Elizabeth Thompson who painted a famous picture called The Roll Call. The painting depicts a British regiment during the Crimean War. It was installed into the famous British Royal Academy and placed in the most prestigious position of prominence within it. This was something unique since the Academy was a veritable men's club. 
Others praise this placement of the painting as a, a breakthrough for women. And the academy tottered it as showing off its, its tolerance as an institution. However, it became clear that the academy used, this male-dominated academy, used Thompson's painting as an excuse for continued discrimination. See, look, we, we had a woman there. We had that one instance of a woman being tolerated, but they continued on with years and years of male domination in the arts. Interesting side note, her husband was a British officer and wrote a autobiography. He and Elizabeth had five children. Not once has she even mentioned the autobiography. <laughs> the male domination was certainly in place. See, what we have to avoid is offering up what we might call a racial tokenism, throwing a bone every once in a while, demonstrating how open and tolerant we are while we maintain relationships of one color. We take in, continue to talk in ways and take in demeaning ways of different races and we talk in a demeaning way of different races, never really changing, in other words, our attitudes or our behavior that work against unity. Lord, keep us from a tokenism. I shared this following story at the Unity event last year. We have a, an event every year. This will be the fourth year of where churches come together and enjoy the unity with one another despite whatever race when I was in Bible college in Chicago at the Moody Bible Institute, one of the requirements was that every week you had to work in what was called a PCW, a Practical Christian Work Assignment. Mine was to run, along with another girl, a Bible club inside the worst of the projects in South Chicago. I didn't anticipate how God would rock my world with this experience. I did not grow up in an all-white neighborhood. My high school's probably 25% black. I had black acquaintances, not really close friends, certainly didn't consider myself a racist. But it started out with me taking a bus along with Marty, my partner, ministry partner, and we would go into the south of Chicago and we'd take the bus and we'd be the only two white people on the bus. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. I did not like what I saw in me. Now, one does not usually come face to face with what it's like to live in privilege until you are in the minority. And God began to reveal my fear, my presumption, and my sin. When we would arrive at our destination there in the projects and there was a, a row of apartment buildings, I don't know, 10 
10 stories high maybe, all run down, many of the windows boarded up, but would be greeted by an elderly black woman named Bertha Harris. Bertha grew up in the South. She would always feed us before we would invite the children to come to her small apartment, and then we'd tell them Bible stories. And our, our supper usually consisted of some variation of chicken, but then she would always add either grits or fried tomatoes or okra, which was a first for this Ohio boy. And then she would always tell us stories about what it was like to grow up as a black woman in the South. Her apartment was cramped. She had a a real gravelly voice, hunched over. She'd had a, a hard life. She didn't have much, but she had a joy, a tenacity that was just really contagious. She had a way of kind of commanding a room, and those kids really listened to her. She had authority. A couple years later, she would take a bus ride from Chicago. They had no vehicle. Didn't have hardly any money. Took a bus ride from Chicago to St. Louis so she could attend our wedding. You know, as a young man at the time, I could not appreciate the sacrifice that that was for her. She was a she was a legend in those projects. You know, I can remember attending a banquet that she would put on every year for the kids and the parents, probably about 100 people, and they were just celebrating what God had done through her ministry, through that woman, over the years of these projects. Countless kids coming to Christ. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Mrs. Harris impacted my life far beyond what I could understand in those days. And I tell you about her because at that time I was young, I was self-absorbed, could not appreciate being in the presence of someone with so much wisdom and love that far exceeded anything I had. And God used her mightily. Like my experience with Mrs. Harris, we might sometimes allow our preconceived notions or fears or assumptions or self-absorption to to steal from us a richness that comes from being with people different from us and of learning, maybe not to say such stupid things, of really listening far more. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only force that can unite this country. I don't think it's politics. My hope is not in getting a certain man in power or woman. Politics cannot unite the human heart. But I think the gospel of Jesus Christ can. And so therefore, as a country, that means like some kind of revival. That's, I don't know what else would do it. Search me, oh God, and know our hearts. 
May he lead us with the gospel and humbly acknowledge our need before him that we can experience genuine unity even in this congregation and in this community. The kind of unity that I think our country struggles to experience. It has to start with us, with me, with you. Being honest, being willing to look in the mirror. It's not easy. It is not easy. We're not prone to acknowledge such things because we are in a system in which we're not the minority. It's not easy. So we ask God to help us to understand, to enter into the pain of our brothers and sisters, to love well, to do justice, to walk kindly. I've asked a dear friend of mine, Steve Williams, to come. Steve, come on up. Some of you may recognize Steve as the owner of Crosstown Barbecue. You can go in there for some good barbecue. Steve and I have been friends for several years. We have worked together with the Unity event. And this will be the fourth year. Let me start with this, Steve. Uh, I think that we're pretty prone to not acknowledge the issue. I can't speak for everybody. But, you know, hey, we don't have slavery anymore. A black president was elected, so there's not racism anymore. There's not racism in southwest Missouri. What, what would you say to that? I would say that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yes, there is racism still in Springfield, Missouri. There's racism in our country. Uh, and, I, you know, I just feel that throughout the history of it all, uh, even through the civil rights movement and things of this sort, that uh, America has never really dealt with the issue of racism. Uh, it's kind of like an ugly past that nobody wants to deal with, uh, and it's, uh, it's kind of been shoved un, un, underneath the carpet. Uh, racism has become uh, underground uh, since it can't be legally or lawfully uh, expressed outwardly like it used to be in, 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 in the past year or so. So I would say, yeah, it still exists, but, uh, but the reason why it still exists is because Nobody wants to deal with the painful issue of dealing with it face-to-face uh, -face and hand-to-hand. -hand. I guess it would be kind of like uh, me saying that uh, men are not sexist. I mean, really, you'd have to find that answer out from women, would you not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, if, if there's racism, it seems to me that you would you know, need to get information from people that are a minority in the culture and ask them and listen to their stories and, what, and what's going on. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't recognize racism now that you're being a victim of it, you know. So it's kind of like, you know, white America has been the privilege, uh, you know, kind of like the race of, of America and to where a lot of people 
in your majority. So you don't really deal with that issue as as some of the other cultures deal with it as we come in, you know, as we've been brought into this country. Uh, you know, you know, I believe through the word of God, like you were saying earlier, that the only way, the only true thing that really unifies us is God. Uh, we have different issues and different uh, thought processes in many, many areas, uh, be it be political or or just a way of thinking or, you know, cultural scenarios, this. But you know what? I, I really think, you know, God created us in his own image, did he not? And, and, and as far as the word of God is concerned, God created us, especially for the body of Christ, to be a member of, of, of that body. And each body, each person of that member is a different uh, person in, inside or whatever. You have different, different gifts. And I think we need to quit uh, really focusing on the differences as a negative because I think the differences is a positive because God created each one of us for a certain purpose. And if we can just come together in that purpose, just like um, uh, the church came together in that purpose on the day of Pentecost uh, when they were up in the upper room praying, uh, brought the, the disciples up in the upper room praying, and he said, I'm sending you the promise. And then what happened, of course, was that the church was started. And the church was started by the Spirit of God. So basically from that, my, my reason and take of that is that there is no church without the Spirit of God. You see, and so the Spirit that dwells in each and one of us that we've been taking God into our hearts, we have to allow that Spirit to be dominant over the Spirit of self, uh, of the spirit of flesh that we that we deal with on a daily basis, uh, and so, but we all know that that is a process. Amen. Uh, that 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 process is is nurtured and whatever by uh, coming to church and hearing the word of God. Uh, it says faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the increasing of our faith. But basically, I really believe uh, that the Bible tells us that yes, it's because uh, you know, you know, you know, we have a relationship problem. You know, as with, you know, with the racism, there's a relationship problem. But, but, but basically, that's a horizontal relationship problem. Well, basically, if you look at the cross, you have a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship in the cross. And if, if, if you took a cross and put the horizontal relationship, it's connected to what? The vertical relationship. So the reason why we have a problem with a horizontal relationship what we have to do and realize that we have a disconnect from that vertical relationship mm. that will allow us to be attached to the horizontal relationship with each other. And that's, that's what we have to have a self-examination to be able to say, okay, what is my relationship with God? Is my relationship with God so strong that I love him so much that I will be able to obey the word of God uh, to the completeness of whatever uh, he wants me to do as me me getting along with my brother. You know, division is not just racial division. I mean, there's a lot of division within the church itself, within the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always said, though, uh, conflict is due to a conflict of spirits. Come on, let's just keep it real, you know. And there's a good and an evil. You've never seen two evil spirits not getting along. You've never seen two good spirits not getting along. The only time you have conflict is when you have a negative and a positive or whatever situation uh, that's in conflict with one another. So what we have to do as a church, I believe, is that 
like you said, the church has to take the stand because we're the ones that's supposed to be what? Set apart from the world. And like you were saying earlier, how our culture and how our, our way of life has influenced us to be able to kind of go with the flow of what's really going on. But every time we go with that flow, that there is, you know, the spirit of God that dwells in you, there is an inner conflict of spirit and flesh going on daily that we all deal with. So the whole idea is to allow that spirit of, uh, of God to, to have its way. You know, but, you know, for many, many years, you know, I, I was, you know, I didn't get saved till I was 42 years old. So think about this, 42 years of doing it my way, uh, the, the world telling me how I have to live, what I need to do to be successful and things of like this. And then all of a sudden we meet Jesus and he says, you know what, the way you've been doing it is all wrong. Just like when he came back and told the Pharisees, hey, <laughs> what, the way you're doing it, we're doing a new thing now. And that's what happens when we, you know, when we are, when we're born again, something has to change. And, and of course, before change, everything that ever has been changed is preceded by what? Repentance. You have to realize you got a problem. It's kind of like a drug guy, a drug addict. You know, he can't deal with the problem until he realizes he's got the problem. And I think that the church has painted this pedestal of, the church over like we're all this and we're all that and we're all different and when 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 the world tries to come into the church we we ostracize and do these certain things with them uh you know with the people and then you know we're wondering well why is it we that people are not coming to inside the church you know uh to you know for the gospel now we've taken the church and try to go outside into the world to be a, a light to the world but think about it we have to be that example of what we're preaching, you know, before we can, you know, talk about it, we have to what? Be about it. And so, but that's difficult sometimes. But we have to realize that, hey, God, help me. Let's, uh, let's talk about that for a second because, uh, you know, you and I have had conversations about kind of, I guess, where to start. And... Uh, seems like we keep coming back to that theme of relationships. And you mentioned you've got to have that relationship with God, but there's a relationship, too, with others. Um, what are some bite-sized ways that people can begin to be on a track of reconciliation and, and, and unity? In this uh, just coming face-to-face, -face, uh, coming face-to-face -face with the reality of the problem. Uh, you know, uh, so, you know, for, for us to be able to cross these barriers, you know, God, God, the Spirit of God will break down any type of barrier there is, you know, uh, that, that we have with each other. We have different barriers. We have racial barriers. We've got denominational barriers. We've got socioeconomic barriers. We've got all these different barriers, you know, political barriers that actually what? Do one thing. Separate us. Satan is so happy because he's got a United States of America that's supposed to be united, but yet to still so divided on uh, the way we think, uh, but there's one thing that we can come commonly on, that's the spirit of God. So it's about coming face to face with uh, a different race, uh, a different person. It's come face to face, but of course, throughout the years, the problem has been fear, you know, <laughs> fear. You know, and uh, the Bible tells me that fear is not of God, uh, but God will give you a, a spirit of love and power and self-control. But that's the point. We have to allow the spirit 
to take us over to come face to face with a person just like me and you came face to face. And what we realize is that, you know what, we kind of like each other. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know? And, and then, of course, you have all the different, uh, uh, what's to say, uh, uh, things that, oh, well, all white people are this, or all black people are that. You know, come on, let's just keep it real. People, God made us in his own image. We're individuals. We can't clump one bad experience in, into uh, a whole realm of experience. But even though as far as being black in America has been very difficult, you know, but I hold, I hold no grudges. Or I hold no because the spirit of God that, that dwells in me says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to love my brothers, my brothers in Christ, you know, and, and I'm going to get along with everybody. And, but God is, I think, you know, has allowed me to say, you know, what are you going to do about it, Steve? So that's kind of like what, you know, uh, you're kind of saying, what are we going to do about it? For one, what do you feel you need to do anything about it? For one thing. And it's like, for, for me, you know, uh, God has just kind of charged me to start this unity on division. You know, because it only takes one person that's willing to make that ultimate sacrifice uh, to be able to bring change. But the deal is, is that we need people to come alongside in the church, and that's what the church has to do. You know, we need, you know, we have different doctrines and things of this sort, but there's one thing that I don't care how you slice it, dice it, chop it up, whatever interpretation. How can you have a different interpretation for love? <laughs> It's impossible. Love is love. Self-examination is self-examination. Can you, is there a doctrine about self-examination? Is there, you know, how can you slice that up? You look at the word hope. How can you slice that up? You look at the word grace. How can you slice that up for what it really is? And then, of course, we have Jesus Christ that gives us the power to do all these things. But like you said, because of the culture and our history of our, our country, you know, this is how it is. Yeah, this is how it is, but is it right? You know? I like that. I think that uh, one of the things I've learned in our conversations and in all the meetings that we've had and meeting with other leaders in the area is that I cannot learn if my mouth is moving. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the best posture I can have in this regard, is just to listen, to listen well. I, um, uh, in the meetings that we've had, mm -hmm. I've learned a lot from you, uh, from other people in the community. Where and I, and here's here's the thing I love about meeting with this group, is that it's not been a session of boy, you won't believe what I faced, blah blah blah. It's not although. Although you hear some of that, but it's always in a context of, you know, what the answer is, what uh, uh, the, the hope that's in Christ. Um, but it's, it's not been this uh, session of just slinging mud. Um, but if you have your ear to the ground and you just listen and you observe, I think you can see a lot of, about what's going on and a lot about yourself as well. Yeah, you know, uh, something that you said in your, your sermon was that, you know, what happened uh, when uh, Lincoln <laughs> uh, signed the proclamation 
was in slavery. You know, Lincoln signed it, but God did it. See, God ended slavery within the process of this country. That was the beginning process of it. What has to happen now is that we have to end slavery within our hearts. You see, that's the process that God is saying now. Okay, now, as far as the law is concerned, uh, it's it's over with. But the, the the whole scenario is, where is it in your heart? As what your traditional thought mm-hmm. processes mm-hmm. and things like you were saying, you have to. God says not to be conformed of the world, but to re, re, be uh, uh, renewing of our minds. And the point is, is that as Christians, as you know, as just any question, even with any type of sin, because. Racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. And we have to realize that, that that's, that's the issue. And I've been asked, well, you know, uh, I go speak kind of like this, the different way. Well, how do we deal with racial, uh, you know, like reconciliation? Or reconciliation means to have a change of relationship, okay, to be reconciled. See, Jesus Christ reconciled us with the Father. And so the whole ever to have a situation of change uh, within that reconciliation, for one, it has to set a sense of repentance, uh, first of all, to realize that there is a problem. And then, and then, then secondly, we have to be able to uh, uh, deal with that problem face-to-face, you know. And it's like uh, deal with the problem and be able to stand on that problem. But see, you know, we can't, you know, it, it, it's hard for us to do it alone. Uh, the whole scenario is and many people probably say, well, you know what, you know, racism is wrong or whatever, this and that. Okay, but are you willing to make a stand, to stand for it together, to eradicate it from our culture uh, forever? And right now, uh, in, our, in, in, in the climate of our country, you see, what I said, it was been raci- racially has been underneath the, um, shoved underneath the deal, uh, like the carpet, but right now it's coming right back out. And it's being front and centered, uh, and now, and I and I know that this this act of God, because God is ready to say, you know what, it's time to end this. But the thing about it is, I can't do it uh, alone as a, a black man in America. Uh, it has to be a, 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 a American uh, issue that's going on, where white people and black people are standing together to say this is something that has to be done. Because see, if I go and say, well, we need to end this, and uh, you know, I've had these injustices, then Sometimes, you know, I've, I've said this before, and, and the dialogue of people say, well, you're just staring up trouble, and you're just staring at the past. Well, hey, that don't exist anymore. But, yes, it still, it still exists for me. What needs to happen is that white America needs to stand up and say, this needs to be an issue that needs to be dealt with. Hmm. And, if, and if they did that, then I really feel that you will see a revival movement in this country that is second to none. And I really believe that this is what I think uh, the, the fruit of uh, uh, unity on the vision is about because it's, it's like people coming together of all colors that's unified, not, not other than a way than what Christ wants us to do as Christians. And the whole idea is, are we willing to take that step? Are we willing to make those sacrifices? Are we willing to say, you know what? You know, I'm ready to go down for this cause because it's important to me. Talk about the event itself. When does it take place? Uh, where uh, is it at? The event is at uh, uh, September 23rd. Uh, uh, it's at Jenny Lincoln Park this year, which is the uh, park that's two blocks past on South Street. It's on South Street going two blocks south of downtown. Uh, it's going to be 11 o'clock to 3 uh, p.m. 
Uh, we've got, uh, she just told me we got the, uh, you know, I said like the city uh, being involved in the city event. manager will be there, confirmed it this week. And, and uh, uh, we're going to have the police department down there praying over the police department and the Green County. Uh, we're just going to be praying over our city uh, to be able to just uh, 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 reconcile, you know, and just come together and start this process because, like I said, it is a process, you know, but. Hey, it has to be started somewhere, but inviting all of you to come down and be a part. And, and really, in the last three three years, it's been growing and growing and growing. 800 the first year, 1,200 the second year, about 14, about 2,200 last year. It, was, it just kind of blew up last year. This year, we're expecting even more. And just come down and just allow the spirit, just come into our bubble, because what we do, we pray around that park. Just come into our bubble of, of the Holy Spirit right there at that time and place and just see uh, all people of, of different denominations and races and things coming together in a total worship experience uh, of loving and just kind of like letting themselves go uh, and, and, and exactly be an example of what the church should be, should look like. Uh, but, you know, like I was telling uh, Kevin, you know, last year when I looked, around and saw all the people, man, it touched me so much, and, and, and God spoke to me, he said, you know what, he said, this is what heaven's going to look like, and I'm coming back, and then I'm coming back soon, and it's time for my people uh, to get themselves together and say, you know what, so when he does come back, that we all can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Love you, brother. Love Thank you, you for too. being here with us. Let's give him a hand, will you?